0: You're listening to the Rubbish Trip Podcast, two no-waste nomads talk trash with people in Aotearoa, New Zealand.
1: Nicola Turner, resident of the small Waikato town of Cambridge, is the creator of the social enterprise Mainstream Green. Through Mainstream Green, Nick combines her personal experience of her own family's transition to sustainable living, along with her in-depth knowledge of human behaviour, to help people and organisations tread more lightly on the planet in ways that actually save time and money. Nick's own story is thoroughly convincing. Over a number of years, her family of four steadily changed how and what they buy and consume to the point that they now produce only one wheelie bin of waste a year, they've eliminated hundreds of synthetic chemicals from their home, and they save hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars annually. Nick is a powerhouse, which makes it hard to sum up the range of mahi she does through Mainstream Green, but this includes in-person speaking events and webinars, behaviour change strategies for businesses and councils, heaps of online learning material, including the 10-day challenge, and she's even written a book, Living Lightly, The Busy Person's Guide to Mindful Consumption. We felt so lucky to have the opportunity to sit down with Nick to dig a bit deeper into the benefits of sustainable living, common myths around modern obsession with convenience, and how to bring all kinds of people along on the journey of more simple living. We started off by asking Nick if being a mindful consumer has always been an important part of her life.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really short answer. To that. <laughs> Would you like me to elaborate? Actually? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> if you feel comfortable doing so, <laughs> no, Nick. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. In fact, life's pretty much done a 180 really to get me to where I am. So I spent the first 15 years of my career. Working in the fast-moving consumer goods industry, or the FMCG industry, so essentially the industry that puts products on our supermarket shelves, very much fell into it. I was studying university. At, I was studying business at university, mm-hmm. and they were offering summer internships. So I'm like the, the first company that I that I worked for, and I'm like, okay, that sounds good, a summer job. So I applied and had a summer internship and then got off at a graduate position and 15 years later I switched careers. So it really just fell into it but uh, was working in the FMCG industry and my role there became all about understanding shopper behaviour. So how do we behave as shoppers in the supermarket and did that in all sorts of ways. So analysing things like our transactional data so every time we swipe a card be it a Flybuys or a card, or a credit card I would go on shop-alongs with people so we'd pay people to go shopping with them oh my goodness i know i know (laughs) it's weirdly voyeuristic and (laughs) super weird but uh really fascinating yeah the reason being is that what we say we do and what we actually do are really different Mm. things Uh, right so like yeah so
0: how do people what is people's behavior? shopping behavior and can you generalize like there is there a general way that humans behave when they're shopping Yeah.
2: there's definitely things that people are influenced by Buy. And I guess that's what was really interesting to us because mm-hmm. it was all about, okay, how do we influence people's purchase decisions mm-hmm. for the betterment of the products we were selling, obviously, because our objective was to sell more products, right? So how can we influence people to buy things they've never bought before? Buy more of what they're already buying or pay more for what they're already buying. So a really simple golden rule, I guess, is you always want your products at hip to eye level mm-hmm. because that's yeah. where people's eye line goes. You know, it's yeah. very rare for people unless they're really looking for something to be looking on the bottom of the shelf or, you know, the top shelf and things like that. So, yeah, there are some definitely some generalizations for sure in terms of what's going to make it anything that's going to make it easier for people to pick up your product is, you know, is kind of what we're angling for. But no, there were definitely different categories of shoppers. It wasn't, yeah. you know, there's not one archetype, but you, there's, yeah. you could normally put people into a little bit of a little bit of a box. But it was always really interesting because you talk to people first, and they're like, I'm this type of shopper, and this is how I make my decisions. And then you'd observe mm-hmm. them, and, you, and you're like, actually, there's other... Lots of other things at play that
0: they might not have even been mm. aware of. So wow, that's so creepy yeah. and interesting super at the
1: same creepy. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> creepy. You know, in that space, I hear from time to time people talking about how much, the, especially the supermarket experience, is curated mm. to make people want to buy certain things. And Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, how much influence does the way a supermarket is laid out and, and everything that goes with that experience influencing mm. our choices.
2: Yeah, oh, hugely. And I think uh, supermarket, just because it's probably our most frequent interaction, but any mm. retail, you know, any good retail environment is normally pretty curated and orchestrated. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the supermarket, very much, you know, there's always a traffic flow in a supermarket. There's a certain way that you want people to flow through a supermarket. You'll often find that fresh produces at the beginning because then people kind of put all the good stuff in their supermarket mm-hmm. trolley and they feel like they've got a good base and then it's mm-hmm. like you go and put other stuff on you know all the treat foods on top of it and not feel so bad mm-hmm. you know you walk in and there's the smell of rotisserie chicken and bakery to obviously make get your, your taste buds going and start your salivating so that you'll buy more food as well because it makes you feel hungrier mm-hmm. there's obviously the hip to eye level there's the fact that quite often you'll find the real basic bread and milk Will be at the far end of the store, so you've got to travel through a lot of the a lot of the store to get to those, and and your impulse purchases are at the checkout when you've got time to browse and mm. you know time to pick up other things, magazines, things like that. So yeah, it is very curated, and but I think you find that in a lot of retail environments, and it's really interesting because I think people are broadly aware of it. Mm but that doesn't necessarily mean that it stops them.
0: Mm. You know how to <laughs> so coming to it. Yeah, yeah, you know how to control yourself in that context. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thinking about it from the perspective of when we get and we'll talk about this more I suppose about your environment behavior change work, but when you're working in the environmental space doing behavior change, it's often trivialized as mm. like not important or like you know that Instead of focusing on businesses, we're going to focus on changing people's behaviour to be more pro-environmental. But it's interesting that if it were so trivial, then supermarkets and retailers wouldn't be spending so much time. Mm. You know, it does work. Like, people can actually be manipulated to behave in certain ways.
2: Yeah, and I find it, like, I think you're right. It does get trivialised. But I think we underestimate the power that we have as consumers, so working in that industry, so much of the work we did was understanding where the consumer demand was and what consumers wanted so mm-hmm. that we could deliver products that they would then buy. Mm-hmm. So, And I'm not undermining the role that government needs to play and that businesses, mm-hmm. need. I'm not undermining that at all, but where I focus is very much in that consumer space and I think there is a lot of power in that. And I think we see that in the trend towards sustainable products and we can talk a lot about whether they are sustainable or not but there's a trend a consumer trend in sustainability right because more and more people were showing that that was important to them so you're then seeing a lot more businesses and organizations make products to cater to that need so i think consumer demand and consumer behavior is a really powerful in my experience anyway it can be a really powerful shaper of what businesses and organizations do and will deliver
0: Kind of doing the fast moving consumer goods thing, following shoppers around and being creepy. Yeah, being (laughs) creepy. (laughs) What was it that caused you to do this 180? Like why stop? Why did you do the 180?
2: Yeah, because I I I, like I really loved my job. It was really interesting. You know, it was all about human behaviour and shopper behaviour, which I found Mm. really interesting. And I'm always really quick also to not I'm not here to bag that industry or you know it's it is what it is and I worked with really cool really smart people and learned a lot and got to travel to fascinating markets and work overseas and I loved it and I would love to say there was some kind of lightning bolt of change or some Mm. really rock star moment but Mm. it wasn't it was actually my husband started getting very mild dermatitis Mm. on one finger on <laughs> his mm. left hand, right? That was mm. the moment that changed everything. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so he needs to consider make, to make, make something up. But that, that is what it is, right? <laughs> so, so that happened. Look, that was probably 10 years ago. Mm. And it was just really frustrating him. You know, so he diligently went to the doctor and he got steroid cream and he used steroid cream and it cleared up pretty much overnight. Mm-hmm. Except then he'd stop using the cream and it came back and it was mm-hmm. kind of this cycle of rinse and repeat. And then it was the conversation to go, Well, clearly we're treating the symptoms here and not the cause. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in that Rolodex of my mind was something that I'd heard or read around the fact that through the products we're using, we're often putting hundreds of different synthetic chemicals on our skin every day. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, maybe there's something in that. So that that was our trigger point to start becoming more conscious of what we were putting on our skin. Mm -hmm. And just really, like we started by changing our hand soap. And changing Mm. it to a product that just we could understand and navigate the the ingredients a bit better, and that seemed to help. So then we'd sort of move on to the next thing. And and our trigger was very much every time we ran out of a product. And I, most of my career history was in the health and beauty industry, right? Mm. And the health and beauty industry is very much focused on how do we get people to use one more product, right? How do we, if you're using 10 products, how do we get you to use 11? If you're using 11, Mm. how do we get you to use 12, you know? Mm. So in my bathroom and my product regime was very representative of that you know Mm. we'd kind of and you know then we kind of moved on to cleaning products and that was the same we had a cleaning product for every room in the house because that's what had been marketed to us Mm. so our process became really about every time we'd run out of something I'd kind of look at it and go do we really need to keep using this and can we simplify, and if we can simplify, if we do need it, can we find a better choice from an ingredients point of view? Mm. And then we found we were reducing our waste by simplifying, so started going down that rabbit hole a little bit more, and then started looking at our bigger relationship with stuff, you know, beyond kind of the day-to-day product. So, I mean, I'm sure you guys find the same, right? None of this is, you know, waste is not mutually exclusive from... Our synthetic yeah. chemical use, you know, it's all yeah. once you kind of start scratching the surface, right? Yeah. You kind of, mm. we start changing a few things and then you go, oh, what about that? So mm. it's been this journey that started from a personal well-being, kind of synthetic chemicals, toxic load point of view, but then has evolved to, I guess, really being about questioning every aspect of our consumption. Because mm. to me, consumption is our impact, right? that the clothes we wear or the food we eat or the electricity we use or the way we get around or the manufacturing that goes into the things that we buy or the waste mm. we create, our, how and what we consume is our impact and, and ours has become a journey about how do we be more mindful of that and, and make changes in a way that mm. can reduce that. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah,
1: cool. Mm-hmm. resonates with our experience of starting with one thing and very quickly realizing it intersects with all these other Mm. issues and we've just learned so much just from trying things out, you know, just from making simple changes but I guess one big change that we also have in common which most people probably don't do is going from just giving it a go in our own lives because it was important to us to then wanting to share it with the world, Mm. you know, and Mm. and then sharing our learnings. So how did, what was that transition then? Mm.
2: Yeah, so I mean, how so? Mainstream Green is my social enterprise that yeah. I is the umbrella of all the work that I do. It actually started with one of my best friends. I grew up with her, and she was kind of always the token happy of the group, right? Mm. And then I was kind of uh, off on my corporate crusade. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I kind of started to do this weird kind of transition, and I'm yeah. like, "Oh, we actually have, you know, we ended mm. up having some really interesting conversations, mm. and we found that." Actually, if we, because we sort of had a wider network of friends and we found we'd kind of be having these conversations and other people would kind of come in and go, oh, this is kind of interesting and I want to know a bit more about that and they might go off and make their own changes. So we kind of started going, there's actually something in this that if we engage people in the right way about being more sustainable or, you know, lightening our load, whatever you want to call it, that people get really, they really get into it if it's Mm. kind of you know we were just engaging as friends and you know and it was it was seemed to be having an impact so we just one night i had a few wines i guess and uh the conversation was kind of like oh maybe we could run some workshops mm. and so mm. we put there was a funding round coming up with our local council we put in a funding application which made us go we've got to have a business we've got to have a bank account yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. like yeah. 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 all in like the space of four and a half days yeah. ridiculous? <laughs> so it was uh it, which was great in hindsight because it just forced our hand to do something we ran yeah. a couple of workshops and look, look hindsight you look back on them and we've I've come a long way (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it was a great way just to get started and a great way to validate what we thought was true that actually if you get in front of people and you engage them in the right way then there's a lot of people who inherently want to do the right thing they just Mm. might need a bit of motivation or a bit of a toolkit to help them get there Mm. and then it's just evolved from there so it's just me in the business now and yeah a lot of I do a lot of speaking events and a lot of other events, and I love it, it kind of, I think it brings together a lot of my skill set and experience as well, like I, I, don't know, I grew up doing speech and drama, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like I was one of those <laughs> kids at high school, mm-hmm. and I'm really passionate about the subject matter, and yeah, I enjoy that buzz of getting up in front of people, and making the content relatable, and you know, and then I kind of bring my behaviour change lens into that as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you've gone from doing the talks, and like that's really expanded out because you've got all these different webinars on your Mm. website, and you do you take people through your home. But you've also now released a book. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. So what?
1: Yeah, we stumbled across the other day when we were in Rotorua. Oh yeah, Um, awesome. Just yeah, it looks amazing. Honestly, it looks really cool and comprehensive, and yeah, and I love that it starts off with some of those big picture like. Wise consumption, to, you know mm-hmm. the way we consume, such a big issue, and yeah, it looks really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. so
0: awesome. that must have been a lot of mahi. Uh, but so, what led you to wanna to yeah to create a a book? Mm. What? Why did you put yourself well, through it. that? Now? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone, oh, writing
1: for six thousand words sounds really fun. <laughs> yes. uh, it was in the intro too, and it was like, I can confirm, it is a ton of work. <laughs> yes, <yeah>. yes. <laughs>
2: work. Uh, for sure. Um, how did that happen? Well, I mean, and I'm sure you guys find the same in terms of, there's only two of you in one of me, right? Like mm-hmm. our time in terms of, there's nothing like connecting human to human and, mm-hmm. and, and having a corridor and, and interacting with people and engaging face to face but that has its limitations. Mm. Mine a lot more than you guys, because you've just done, covered amazing amount of territory and spoken to an amazing number of people, but there's always limitations mm. on that. So yeah. I guess my challenge is always, and I have a young family, my challenge is always, well, how do I, my measure of success is impact, right? The more people I can talk to, the more mindsets I can shift, the better. So how do I do that in a way that, how do I continue to evolve that? So I'm getting to more mm. and more people. So, and it, look, there was a philosophical internal debate you know, mm. in terms of a lot of my messaging is around buy, you know, consume less, yeah. but buy my book, you
0: know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you brought a thing into the world, yeah, 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 yeah,
2: exactly. yeah. yeah. so that was, you know, there was yeah. a little bit of internal struggle around that, but I kept coming back to the fact, well, what's the greater, but mm. is it going to get the message out there, the more, I mean, my publisher is probably secretly muttering under their breath, because it's like, I'm always like, and even in the book, I'm like... Borrow it from your library or buy it. And then, like, I even, when I was writing it, I'm like, I want to put one of those really old-school library cards in the front of it. So you write your name in it and then pass it on to someone, you know. Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. so you get a list of who it's called for. Yeah, and I still might do that with one of mine, I think. But, you know, to really encourage people to... It's not about the physical position, right? It's about Mm -hmm. the messaging that's within it. So, yeah, there was a little bit of internal struggle, but I got Mm -hmm. over that. And, yeah, I was... Honestly, like, that, was, that was kind of the motivation. I had a book in, in the back of my mind and was getting asked a lot about a book. And then I had a publisher from HarperCollins come to one of my speaking events mm-hmm. in Auckland. And so he heard me speak and then it kind of all just spiralled from there, really. Amazing. Yeah, so really lucky that they kind of backed. He could see, he's personally passionate about it, but then also could see a burgeoning need in the market. So,
0: yeah mm. amazing mm. well it is really beautiful so congratulations mm. yeah, 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 yeah yeah we're certainly looking forward to checking it out from the library Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you should get
2: you a copy with a card
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. um, but yeah so it's called Living Lightly The Busy Person's Guide to Mindful Consumption and I think this, uh, the subtitle is really interesting to us because it seems to directly target this concept of convenience mm. you know the busy persons and I think convenience this concept of convenience we sort of bump up against it all the time it seems to be of such paramount importance to people Mm. uh, and also something people feel really wedded to that can be a real barrier to living more simply Mm. really love to spend a little bit of time unpacking your thoughts on this concept of convenience nice yeah cool cool. yeah love to yeah yeah Proceed. Okay, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. okay good, good. open floor. So I talk about what I do, is I used to be about understanding shopper behaviour to get people to buy more. Now I'm about understanding human behaviour to get people to consume less, yeah. right? So it's all about that big grey area Mm -hmm. in between knowing what we want to do and doing it called human behavior right Mm -hmm. because we're complex we're often irrational Mm -hmm. we're kind of (laughs) lazy you know i often use diet and exercise and sleep as examples right we all Mm -hmm. pretty much know what we should be doing but that doesn't mean that we do it and so behavior change is all about well how do we understand that big gray area of being human and then find ways to navigate it to to lead to action Mm -hmm. and A big part of that is, well, what are the barriers? What are the things that are stopping people take action? And time and time and time again, the barrier that people will come up and will mention to me is time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's often those awkward awkward moments Mm -hmm. where you meet somebody at a party. Yeah. And they're like, what do you do? And I tell them what what I do, and they get overcome with a sense of personal guilt and feeling. (laughs) And they're like, I'd love to do more. I'd love to do more, but... Mm. I just don't have the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've got yeah. young kids or I've yeah. you know, I work full time or I've got you know mm. and so that sort of made me reflect that if that's the key barrier that's stopping people, how do I kind of reverse engineer it to mm. address that? Mm. And also from a personal point of view, my any time I've made a change, or now any time I make a change, I know it has to take me the same amount of time and money or less, mm. otherwise it's not gonna be sustainable for me mm. anyway. So when I first started on this journey I went all out and i started doing everything (laughs) Mm. (laughs) all the things yeah (laughs) Yeah. and i was on maternity leave with my first child and i had a bit more time and then i found when life got not that life wasn't busy with a newborn but it got you know a different kind of busy when i went back to work a lot of things dropped off right Mm. because i was doing things like making my own hand soaps Mm. and making my own laundry and and i'm also not inherently a maker you know, like mm-hmm. I like short bursts of it, but I have like yeah. short attention span. I normally realise that halfway through baking a cake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah, job. why do I start this? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it was kind of from a personal point of view as well, but then also an understanding that it was a very real barrier for a lot of people within my kind of target market. And what I also kind of knew was from my career experience, really, was that we really marketed this concept of convenience. But there can be a real certain level of irony in it. Right. Mm. So a really simple example I use is supermarkets. So when I was growing up, I'm sure you guys were the same, supermarkets were open five and a half days a week. Mm. So business hours, Monday to Friday, and then Saturday mornings. Mm. I learnt to drive in the New World car park on a Sunday. I don't know where people learn to drive anymore because they're always (laughs) busy. (laughs) Now they're open seven days a week. Some of them are open 24 hours a day, Mm. right? Especially in the big cities. And... The perception is that that's more convenient. We can go whenever we want. Mm. The reality is, is that we're going to the supermarket more frequently than ever before, Mm. right? They're open all the time, so we go all the time. Mm. And we're spending more of our lives shopping than ever before. You know, drive past Mm. the malls on a Saturday Mm. in the car parks, Mm. rammed. So, you know, we can have anything we want, any time we want to shoot to the supermarket at two o'clock in the morning if you mm. want to buy a prepackaged falafels. I don't know, you mm. can have any, but, but then there's this twist of irony that we're working longer and harder than ever before to afford it mm. and then we're shopping more to get it mm-hmm. one survey showed that it's estimated that people spend eight and a half years of their life shopping wow that's, that's so intense <laughs> so <laughs> intense right <laughs>
0: that's wow
2: you know and we're shopping to buy convenience foods yeah right you know?
0: <laughs> seems very spend- inconvenient yeah. really. yeah
2: yeah, yeah. and I, I totally get it I totally get why people you Know it's a lot of it's the way it's marketed to us and the way we perceive it, but there is a real irony in that. And you know, now I know actually the fastest thing to do is for me not to leave the house, right? So, mm. if I need if I'm halfway through baking a cake mm. and bored, which I probably would be, by then, mm. and I realize I've run out of eggs, default is I only live a four minute drive from the supermarket, yeah. Uh, I'll jump in the car and go and get them, mm. right? Well. I'll drive four minutes each way. I'll spend 20 minutes walking around the supermarket trying to find eggs because I always forget where they are. I'll mm. buy 10 other things that I didn't realise I needed. Mm. I wonder how I've spent $160. You know, mm. find my car, drive home. It's probably going to be a 30 minute round trip, but it feels more convenient. What if I actually I can substitute? chia seeds for eggs and baking or actually I can go and knock on my neighbour's door and ask Mm. if I can borrow a couple of eggs (laughs) yeah exactly and then give them a couple of pieces of cake and, and return you know now my default has changed to go actually the more convenient thing is normally to figure out a way to make do with where I'm at as opposed to defaulting to going to the shops all the time so Mm. that's a real kind of big chunk of it is how do we demystify that concept of convenience in terms of the way we're shopping also I think our lives have become overrun with stuff because Mm. it's so cheap and accessible to buy stuff compared Mm. to what what it used to be our house sizes are generally getting bigger and our family sizes are getting smaller and we're just filling them up with more and more stuff and our approach to things like furniture or appliances has become a lot more disposable right we kind of you know we've become really linear in our consumption of things like that and that's perceived as convenient and good but there's, it's having a massive impact on our well-being again because of that. Whole we're working harder and longer than ever before, but also, for me, there's a quote that I love, which is, "With every possession comes responsibility." Right. Mm. So the more stuff we have in our lives in our home, the more things we've got to look after and maintain, and get frustrated at our family for for not putting away and yeah. move and you know, like the more stuff we have, the more time and responsibility it actually takes away. And I think mm. I know I was really disconnected from that. And through going through this process, and we're by no means minimalists, but we live with a lot less stuff than we used to. And it's quite liberating how much that's simplified our lives and freed up time. And that's just a couple of examples. But yeah, for me, I think our perception, convenience and time is a very real barrier. But a lot of the time that's kind of been skewed a little bit. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's very consistent with our experience. Mm. Firstly, that people always say time to us and will often bring up life experiences that we don't have that is difficult for us to respond to. Like, you okay, know, like, uh, you okay. know, you, we don't have kids and, and, and we, so on. But we similarly, even within the context of our very empty lives Um, we found that we actually seem to spend less time Mm. shopping and doing those kinds of admin things than we did before and like one example I always have is like it's so convenient to know how to make your toiletries Mm. so that when you run out of toothpaste Mm. you don't have to go to the corner store the mail may not be open to get you know, you just go to your pantry and you're like, Oh yeah mm, Yeah, like yeah. that that make do mentality.
2: Like I talk about it as reigniting resourcefulness, right? Mm. Like we've yeah. almost lost mm. our connection or our mm. belief in the fact that we can be resourceful.
0: Yeah. It's
2: like we've run out of something, we've got to go to the shop. Mm. Yeah. I also don't want to undermine the fact that making products is hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. You know, yeah. like yeah. I think it can be really easy. I just went, Yeah, too intense
0: but yeah, no, no. But, but we're the same. Like you know, you think you overthink <laughs> that yeah, I don't. think when you're opening, I think one of the barriers too, actually, to living more simply is that there is actually a time thing that mm. happens, and unfortunately, it's right at the beginning when you're starting to yeah. live more yeah. simply, yeah. where you do actually have to learn how to do yeah. some things,
1: yeah. well, it's just, and that's
0: it's... time consuming at that beginning part and sometimes you overthink it because <laughs> yeah, you yeah. don't realise because you don't know what you're doing exactly. it's even
1: like just learning a new recipe for, mm. for something you know, the first time you do it yeah, it takes way longer because you have to read everything and you mm. have to make sure you've got the, the steps in the right order and you don't mix this thing before you just mm. need to put the wet whatever it is and there
0: might be an item that's not yet part of your pantry mm. that will yeah, be once you know, the yeah. recipe mm. becomes important to your yeah. life mm. yeah, that's <laughs> right. yeah yeah exactly
1: but yeah. you know you do it a few times it becomes very simple right so
2: and it's also because we're up in that conscious part of our brain right you know because Mm. it's something you've never done before so Mm. whereas so many of our daily habits end up in that kind of autopilot subconscious unconscious part we don't think about it it's like i go to the supermarket i buy something i know how to do that my brain knows how to do Mm. that whereas if it's like i've got to try something new okay oh i've got to heave myself up to that conscious part but yeah Mm. it's like any new habit once you've got it it's Mm. it's in there and it's easy and and I guess a big part of that is I'm very passionate about that whole one small change you know like Mm. I swung too far one way and took things a bit too far and then I've gone okay it's all about going what's one small change I can make at a time embed that make that a new habit that feels good Mm. then go on to the next one
0: I think there's probably no two ways about it it's not an easy thing for humans to form a new no, habit no. so is that part of what you try to do with your your tools yeah. and your resources about re-switching habits
2: yeah and a big part of that is from a behavior change point of view there's lots of cool little frameworks and stuff around but you know it's all about how do you make it as easy as possible and how do you I talk a lot about aligning it to your why as well. So, like I was talking about before, for me, the motivation for me is finding changes that are going to save me time or save me money, Mm -hmm. right? So, if I go in with that kind of as my lens of change, then there's also a motivation for me to change my habit and when I change it, it feels good and I've won on time and I've potentially won on, if it's not costing me any more, then why would I go back? So, I think that helps as well. How do you make it really easy? How do you make it Feel really good to you, and a big part of that is values alignment and that kind of alignment with your why. So, you know, when we first started, my motivation was very much, Oh my gosh, we're putting all of these different synthetic chemicals on our skin. Not saying all synthetic chemicals are bad at all, but just going, I don't really understand this, and this is kind of this kind of seems quite full on. It feels like it would be better for our own well being if we kind of simplify that. That was kind of our motivation, right? Our motivation was, It's going to be better for our own well being my husband's skin started getting better you know that was kind of our why now my why is still our well-being reduce our environmental impact but have that time benefit because i know so many of the changes we've made have saved us time simplified our life Mm. saved us money if i can kind of reverse engineer the habits i'm changing to be aligned with those then it's way more motivating and it feels really good when you do it and also just there's just a buzz about taking action and making good changes as well
0: Mm. Mm in terms of your why's it seems like there is a complexity to your why's it's not just about being an eco warrior Mm. and you know started by talking about your husband's dermatitis but actually that's that's the physical well-being but it seems like there's a really big space for your why in your why of like personal well-being as well Mm. that just the way that we're currently living as a society isn't really making us feel happier and more fulfilled Mm. is there an element of that
2: Mm, absolutely, well. and I think that's like the title of the book being "Living Lightly." It took a long time to get there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> a good title.
0: You did a good job. <laughs> okay, good, good. Ooh, good.
2: You know, I really wanted to capture that because yeah. also what I found is people, you know, in terms of doing my speaking events and things, to go out and say I'm going to talk about sustainability mm. or going eco or whatever you want to call it that's only going to resonate with a certain Mm -hmm. part of the bell curve of humanity Mm -hmm. right like i i honestly believe inherently most people want to do the right thing for the planet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i think for a lot of people there needs to be more to it than Mm -hmm. that so Mm -hmm. so what i found is if i can show other benefits which is exactly what i found on our personal journey like we you know over i don't know so the first five years of our journey i could kind of put a you know, I stick in the sand and turn around and go, wow, we've managed to significantly reduce our environmental impact. And that feels really good.
0: Mm.
2: And that's a really nice motivation. There's a lot in there. But oh my gosh, there's all this other stuff that came along for the ride. Mm. You know, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys right? You know, you've know, you lived without a rubbish bin for however many years and that's awesome but there's so many other dimensions to that, right? Mm. So for me and my family it was okay, we've massively reduced our impact on the environment so we put out the equivalent of one wheelie bin of rubbish a year, we live with over 10,000 less items in our home, we use over 400 less synthetic chemicals on our skin and our, in our home we significantly reduced our water and our energy consumption, all of those things and that's great and that feels good, mm. Mm. I'm not under mm underestimate that at all but oh my gosh it's freed up a heap of time Mm.
0: Mm.
2: it saved us over five thousand dollars a year
0: Wow, comfortably Mm.
2: it has reconnected us with the value of things Mm. and it's just really I don't want to say slowed down our life because I think that's a little bit deceptive but it's simplified things Mm. and it's given us more freedom of choice Mm. as well so that was the bit that made me go, oh my gosh! How did more people not know about mm. this? Yeah. You know, like this because again, it's mm. not mutually exclusive. Reducing your environmental mm. Im- impact is often so connected to so many different things, which is what we were talking yeah. about before. You know, it all um, and the more connected we are to something bigger than ourselves has benefits as well. So I think mm. that's why I do what I do because I kind of went through this journey of you know that ended up reducing our environmental impact but there were so many other well-being benefits to it as well that can be a gateway for people like for me to go hey you reduce your environmental impact and they're like no thanks that's not for me but hey you you know you feel really overwhelmed with the amount of clutter you have in your life or you feel really overwhelmed with the lack of time you have or you feel you know there's different pain points that create gateways for people I don't care how they get into mm. it it's just
1: what's a yeah. entry point mm. yeah that's such a, tr- a tricky one is how do you reach people who aren't necessarily automatically interested in in this kind of stuff and you know we we mm. absolutely 100% feel the same way about we come at it from the zero waste angle but really it's about all those other mm. positive benefits that come from that that has enriched our lives mm, Exactly. and i guess in some ways You know, we talk about that stuff in in our presentations, but perhaps it doesn't come through in how people perceive us before they come to our presentation. So, So we end up getting People who are already interested in waste minimization to some extent mm. and whereas perhaps I don't know you maybe have a slightly different way of, of approaching that mm. and getting people on board and, and and as you say like whatever it is whatever that entry point is mm. whatever whatever works that's mm. you know, yeah totally. use it yeah so apart from those things you mentioned like what are there other ways that you've found are really good entry points for people and you know I know like for, for us for example we have certain groups of people that we find it's really difficult to get to one is men
0: uh-huh. for example
1: you know mm-hmm. like and and I don't know if that's because being seen to care about the environment is feminine and not our things to do you know whatever but yeah certain groups of people are trickier to get to so it's if only you could find that right entry point for, mm. for different people we could get everyone to realize this is something that is just it's just beneficial in mm. so many ways yeah um,
2: and I mean I'm the same I'd say Ninety-eight percent of the people that I speak to are, are female, mm. in the public-facing stuff that I do. So I do a lot of speaking in corporates and uh, mm. businesses as well, and I l- love that because you speak to a bell curve of humanity. They're there mm. because mm. it's part of their work. To... They're told to be there. They've got to be there, yeah. and that's that's the type. You know, that's the audience that uh, it's really powerful because you talk to this group of people who some of them just really don't even know what I'm going to talk about, some of them are like oh, sustainability and they've already switched mm. off you know. Yeah. but you've got the opportunity you've got, yeah. you've got their ears and their, broadly their attention for yeah. you mm. know a set amount of time and that's, I always find that really fascinating because mm. it can be really hard to um, and males in, in, in particular I absolutely agree mm. that it's like that's not my thing, I'm not interested in it whereas mm. if you actually put them in a room and you talk to them about it then you can actually see Mm. mindset start to shift which is really powerful so Mm. that's why I do it you know I'm I'm, I really enjoy my work with businesses and you know keynote speaking at conferences and things because you get to talk to that bell curve of humanity Mm. with the public facing stuff yeah I kind of dissected it for a while and went how do I feel about the fact that it is hugely you know a majority of females that I'm speaking to and and I kind Mm. of put my historical corporate experience over it and because it's the same with marketing
1: Mm.
0: This is so interesting.
2: Predominantly, marketing is targeted at females because mm. predominantly females are the purchase decision makers. Mm. So, I kind of just leaned into that, to be honest. Mm. And we mm. don't overthink it. If that's the gateway, then that's the gateway and mm. start talking to it. But also, I make sure that my content also focuses on well, how do you bring other people. With you, so my husband is, you know, I've kind of always led the charge. Mm-hmm. It's kind of switching a little bit now, but I've mm-hmm. always kind of led the charge. And but it's been, well, how do I get him to come along for the ride? Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, one of the big tools that I talk about when it comes to bringing other people with you is understanding, well, what's their motivation, what's their why, or what are their mm-hmm. barriers, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, my husband is very driven by time, so that's why it's part of my. Why as well, because it's like if I can deliver a solution that's going to save time, then he'll go, Yeah, no brainer. Yeah, so Mm. we only go food shopping every six to eight weeks. Wow, Mm. and that has saved us over two weeks, two working weeks of time in a year. Wow, we've been doing that for about oh, four years now, I think, and still without Mm. fail, on like a Sunday afternoon, my husband will turn around and go, Man, it's good we don't have to go to the supermarket. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) awesome, (laughs) because that's really tapped into his why so you know would he have ever gone oh, I want to be you know I want to reduce my packaging waste so we're not going to go supermarket shopping anymore. Mm. you know whereas if I can go you don't have to go to supermarket mm. we don't have to spend two and a half hours shopping for all our groceries on a Sunday mm. by the way it's going to reduce our packaging waste <laughs> 90%, he'd be like sweet ass whatever you know yeah go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well there's a really uh there's a funny story, it's that's uh, in the book I think. There's a <coughs> colleague of mine and her husband is she really wanted to start reducing the amount of stuff they had and her husband has a lot, he has got the shed, you know, with all the stuff in it. Oh yeah. And so she'd been trying to have conversations with him about reducing it, simplifying the amount of stuff they had and he just wasn't into it at all. I said, oh, maybe watch, like, there's the Minimalism documentary on Netflix, maybe see if he wants to watch that. She's like, yeah, I asked him and he didn't want to do it, but she said, oh, well, I'm going to watch it anyway. So she sat Mm -hmm. down in the lounge and turned it on, and he was kind of in and out of the house, in and out to his sheet. And that was fine. And then about a week later, he's like, So I've been thinking about that documentary. And it obviously just being, you know, (laughs) it wasn't, it was too much of a commitment to actually sit down and watch it. Yeah, yeah. But it would Mm -hmm. be, you know, one, it wasn't coming from her, it was coming from somebody Mm. else. Yeah. And two, it wasn't forced on him. Mm. it was just kind of you know little sound bites were kind of getting in there and obviously resonating a little bit yeah so part of it also is how do you facilitate the ripple effect of change right Mm. so you might not you know there might be people or groups that you want to get to and it might not be that you go direct to the coalface it's like how do you
0: facilitate that Mm. that's what i kind of play around with a bit Mm. as well Mm when you bring it back again to your prior experience paddling wares that that was female-focused as well. And it's like that thing again of criticism that might come to environmental behaviour change. Mm. But actually, it's it's perhaps environmental behaviour change activity is actually doing what works, proven by what capitalism delivers Mm. as well. There's a lot to be learned, right? Like Sustainability
2: hasn't had a marketing campaign right? Mm. Maybe that's what, maybe it needs, because there's a trillion dollar marketing industry convincing us of consumerism. Mm. Mm. How do we kind of put some of that energy and expertise into kind of selling sustainability, right? Because it hasn't had that. And I think there is definitely stuff. To learn, and we you know, and there's I don't know. You could use a really simple example like reusable coffee cups, right? Mm. There's some really beautiful reusable cups that you can buy, mm. and that is often what gets people into it because they're like, oh, mm. looks kind of cool. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. Or how do you get you know, oh man, watching movies and TV, right? And it still blows my mind that they're all using disposable coffee yeah. cups because it's kind of become this kind of mark of coolness and convenience. Mm. And it's yeah. like if you start product placement of really beautiful looking. Reusables. reusables then mm. that's kind of starting to make it aspirational and mm. so that's I'm always really passionate about that as well like how do you make yeah how do you apply some of that logic mm. to make it really aspirational as well mm. Mm.
1: making it visible and normal as well right yeah. it's like sometimes I feel like it's almost making it visible so people know what they're looking at but also not drawing attention too much to so it just mm. be like oh it's just yeah, it's just what we do. It's just that's totally, it. <laughs> yeah.
2: And we're so driven by social norms, right? Mm-hmm. Like as humans, so mm. yeah. The more you can use that for its positive impact, the better, mm. for sure.
0: discrepancy between the money and stuff that gets funneled into consumerism mm. versus resources that are, exist for the other side. And with this rapidly increasing ecological crises that are becoming more and more visible, do you feel hopeful? Or, or are, I mean, how do you sustain the work mm. that you're doing because to do this work you do also have to stay on top of the terrible things that are going on Mm. you know in order to I guess yeah like it's just like professional development really Mm. you need to know and so how do you keep on top of that how do you you know especially knowing what's probably continuing to go on within the fast-moving consumer goods Mm. space in terms of marketing at people to keep buying how do you keep your hopes up or are you a naturally positive person yeah. Or, or
2: yeah? I don't know, ask my husband, <laughs> you know, like, I'm
0: yeah. probably like, yeah, yeah. He's like, are you?
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, and I think that's a really, there's lots of layers to that. And thank you for asking the question. And mm-hmm. I think that's a real kind of challenge with sustainability is there's a lot of work that goes on communicating how bad the situation is. Yeah. Mm. And maybe I've got it all wrong, I don't know, but I kind of feel like people get that. Most people know that the way we are living, whether they see it as not sustainable or whether they see it as just, it's not great, you know, even Mm. if it's the simple things like rubbish, you know, like Mm. litter on the side of the road. and. I think inherently most people kind of get it. Mm. Mm. And I think in the work that I do, I kind of keep that lens over it. Is it's, people don't need more information about how bad the situation is. They need a little bit of context, mm-hmm. for sure. Because I think landfills and organic waste, all those things, You know, people mm. might not necessarily understand that. So I think people need a little bit of context, but I'm always really careful because i see it in myself as well if i dwell too much on how bad things are you kind of move into that and there's a name for it right eco-anxiety or something Mm -mm, mm -mm. now right you kind of move into that space of (gasps) oh my gosh and that's not good for anybody right because it's just kind of paralyzing us from taking Mm. actions so that's kind of how i personally deal with it is okay it's good to understand but that's context Mm. for how do i take action and and move Mm. forward. So that's kind of how I approach my content as well, Mm. right? Mm. How do we give people a little bit of context Mm. as to the situation and why this is Mm. not great, but how Mm. do we focus on what do we do about that and what's good Mm. about that?
0: Mm.
2: Mm. I'll use an example of one of the the highest engagement posts I often do are Mm. around clothing, Mm. right? Mm. So, hey, i just rented a rented an outfit to wear a wedding, or I did like a time trial op shop challenge, right? Where it's like, because everybody's like, I'd love to go op shopping more, but I have to trawl all the op shops, and mm. I don't have the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm giving myself 30 minutes. Mm. I've got an event on tomorrow. I've given myself 30 minutes in one op shop mm. to find an outfit, mm. right? And I did a time trial, and I think I spent 36 minutes, and I got three outfits, and three christmas presents so trying to dispel that myth of convenience and Mm. that post along with the whole hey look i've rented an outfit to to a wedding with some of my highest engagement posts Mm. because i think people what people see in it is you're not telling me i have to go without you're focusing on this is stuff that i can do that's still making me feel good but Mm. i can do it in a way that's better
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: So that's kind of the space I try to operate in: is context, context. That's not very good. Mm. But here's something you can do, and here's what's good. Yeah. Mm. You know, Mm. with a very kind of twenty eighty. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of balance. And sometimes I don't even do the twenty. You know, because it depends on. Because that's I'm trying to focus on the other benefits that are going to come out of it,
0: rightly or wrongly. That's kind of how I
2: roll. Yeah. Cool. Nice. And
0: in doing that, twenty eighty, or not even the twenty. Yeah, yeah. Are there times where you feel that you're absorbing the knowledge on behalf of people, that negative stuff?
2: Oh, that's a good question. i really thought about it like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of liken it
2: to... This is a really random tangent. Sorry. So my husband is... He's like an IT engineer. <laughs> uh, like, really, te- you know, he's quite a technical brain on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And he's been really successful in his career because he's been able to translate... Mm. That kind of heavy technical stuff, into he could sit down and have a conversation mm. um, with me about it. I use mm. me because um, I'm not a mm. technological mm. person. He can yeah. translate. So I guess I kind of see mm. that as my role as well, as kind of how do I gather most of the information and disseminate it in a way that is
0: easy for people, accessible, mm. yeah,
2: yeah, is it accessible. And I'm not a hugely te- you know like even I scraped through science subjects and (laughs) only passed statistics because it was multi-choice those you know (laughs) like that say I don't get down into the real kind of scientific part of climate change or Mm. packaging and stuff like that you know like I try to understand enough so that I've got context but Mm. I think there's a risk of if you get too far down in that detail that it can be hard to keep it accessible as well
0: mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah yeah it's really been so awesome to sit down and talk with you we've been meaning to do this for a really long time yeah, so like, yeah. since lockdown i think so <laughs> yeah. so no it's been really lovely and we do hope one day to actually come in person to one of your talks we'll have to schedule yeah. them on different days yes, you know, exactly. we them for the same days in the same yeah. town <laughs> yeah, yeah. but no, um, yeah Thank you for all the mm. Mahi you do. Oh, it's no, really you. amazing. Mm-hmm. And really hope that your book reaches many people I yeah. mm. think it's a, a really amazing resource for New Zealand. And for taking the knowledge that you developed in a completely different world and applying it to, mm. to this world is really awesome. Mm. So I mean right back at you guys for all the amazing Mahi you do and thanks mm. for having me. No worries. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Thank
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>